0: Our reading this morning is taken from 2 Peter, chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 10, and this can be found on page 1,223 in the Church Bibles. The Day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them As reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, well we 're going to be taking a tour uh, together through that uh, that little bit of two Peter that's just been read for us. Thank you very much for that reading. So fasten your seat belts, make sure your tray tables and seatbacks are in the upright position all naked lights distinguished. You'll notice and, and if you would you know have, have the tour guide open in front of you so you can follow it you'll notice that if uh, you have a crossfinder sitting next to you, they 've been given an extra little map. Um, which they'll be able to fill in, you know, some of the, some of the sites that you can see along the way. Um, if you're sitting next to one, you can crib and see when the end is coming. Or you can help them to fill it in if they maybe have missed something. Um, but we're going to take uh, this tour together. Before, we, before the uh, driver puts the thing in gear, we'll pray as the engine revs. Let's pray, shall we? The last verse of Psalm 90. May the favour... Of the Lord our God, rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands that we may know what this word is for us today, Lord Jesus, and that we may do it. Speak clearly to us. Open our our stopped ears. Cause our hearts to believe as you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So handbrake off, let's go. In a sermon preached in at the end of December 31st, 2016, Pastor Kong He told his church that God would restore to them whatever had been taken from them in 2016. That was his message to them. And he says that nothing is impossible to the man or the woman who... And if you know your Bible, you'll know that the next word is believes, but he used the word dreams. He then had the congregation repeating, 2017 will be your year of restoration. And he said from a Bible passage that he twisted um, Proverbs, I think it was, that God has to restore to you, has promised to restore to you seven times what has been taken from you. He said, God is is going to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask or imagine. Interpreting that as uh, that he's going to make you financially successful, so therefore twisting that quote from Ephesians. And he says God has made promises and, sorry, and Pastor Kong He made promises and assurances in the sermon that actually... No one can possibly give to anyone about what is going to happen to them in the future. He said with absolute certainty that your relationships in 2017 will be seven times better or that you are going to be healed of whatever illness it is or that you will find business success. He used the text in Proverbs 29:18. 18, without the vision, people perish suggesting that the vision that you have is the divine plan and purpose for your life. What we might call, and I'm appropriating this phrase from somebody else I've heard speak on it, the dream destiny thingy. So an example of false teaching and Bible twisting, an example, if if you've heard of this phrase, of prosperity theology and enticing Christians to chase wealth and to embrace greed. Why do I use him as an example? Well, in 2012, Pastor Kong He and five of his fellow church leaders were charged with misusing $23 million of church funds, part of which was used, or a vast majority of which was used, to fund Kong He's wife's pop music career followed by that misuse of 23 million pounds they then misused a further 26 million dollars to try to cover up the misuse of the first 23 in 2015 all six men were convicted on all charges currently uh, in 2016 pastor kong he is a- appealing the length of his sentence he's not appealing the conviction He's appealing the length of his sentence, suggesting it was too strong. If you listen to him preach, he twists the Bible regularly to say what he wants it to mean. He plays fast and loose with Christian doctrine, deliberately forgetting to use Peter's words, the power of the word of God in both creation and preserving the world. And he appropriates the Bible using a a teaching that you could call the word of faith heresy. And he is lawless. Ignoring the warnings and the conviction of the secular authorities of the church that he serves in, which is in Singapore, who have actually, the secular authorities have actually sent an international communication to other countries where he is on evangelistic missions, warning them about his ministry. Now, if you know your Bible, you'll have read Romans 13. And Romans 13 says that our governments are instituted by God and do not wield the sword in vain. Those who resist their authority will incur judgment. My question would be, if Kong He comes across Romans 13, how does he preach it? If he ever actually comes across that passage, if he ever stops scratching the itching ears of his congregation. Now go back to that sermon at the end of 2016. It's stark, isn't it? It's cruel to preach to his church from whom he stole multi-millions of dollars that God would restore to them what previously has been stolen. Seven times. So I make it a little bit over $150 million that he needs to pay them back. Because apparently that's the biblical principle. We begin with this example because Peter, Peter says, listen, remember the good word, the good word of God, which you have received and which you can trust. And what is the effect of listening to this good word that Peter is reminding them to, 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 to open your Bible, to read it, to trust it, to pray over it, and to do that on a daily basis? Well, it will inspire you to wholesome thinking, Okay? Or, or or in another translation, a sincere mind. The the words there suggest that your mind has been exposed to the full light of day. Your thinking is, is fully open to the brightest light possible and it's full and it's clear. You are able to show and understand a true, transparent sincerity in your life and in your words. There's nothing hidden. You're not deceiving, deliberately deceiving anybody, indeed yourself. And what is the source of this word that Peter uses? And in actual fact, you come across this in, all the way through the passage, right at the start and also right at the end. The first source is the Old Testament prophets. I have now written to you uh, both as rem- I have written both of my letters as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken by the prophets. Now, if you look at a Hebrew Bible and the way that it's written out, the the book order in the Hebrew Bible is slightly different. But when they talk about the prophets, they don't talk about just the, the last few books. You know, we get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then we lose the order because the last 12, you can get them all mixed up. They include in the prophets... One Samuel and two Samuel, one Kings and two Kings. There are other books included. Joshua and Judges are the prophets. So the Old Testament history of Israel and God's involvement with his people in Israel. And also you have the commandments of Jesus. That's your other source. That's Peter's other source. Now, Peter has that source, doesn't he? Because he spent time with Jesus. So he listened and they recorded. Now, we have that recorded in the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels. They had them in their living memory as they were writing these letters down. Those are your two sources. Your good word. And it concurs the Old Testament, and of course, Jesus had read the Old Testament and knew it. You have heard it said, but I tell you, says Jesus. You remember that? You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you look at your brother, or if you speak an angry word to your brother, so there's Jesus saying, you've heard the law, here is the law. That's from Matthew 5. And both of these sources clearly tell you, if you read your Bible carefully, and if you listen to the words of Jesus, that false prophets and false teachers will arise among you. And I've just given you an example of one from the 21st century. For which, Peter says, you have been prepared And why? So that you may may be able to persevere. So that you may be able to stand and to go back right to chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 and partake of the divine nature, overcoming the corruption of the world and being called to his own glory and excellence. Do you remember those words from chapter 1? They are good words to remember partaking of the divine nature, overcoming the corruption of the world, and in the end being called to his own glory and excellence. That is such good news. Why? Because the longer you are a Christian, the more the more you realize that you face stern opposition. Let me illustrate something of that. I was reading an online debate thread this week, if you know what I mean by that. Um, the the There was a rather important vote in General Synod, if you hadn't noticed. I was reading an online debate thread where two people were arguing from either side of the debate. And during that thread, a third person got involved and said this, you two will continue to argue over this issue until everyone ditches, and he says, their pernicious ideologies... That is the way, online, that people describe the Christian faith today, as a pernicious ideology. So David Robertson has talked about, and you can find him on YouTube, um, he's worth listening to. He is a brother, he's a church leader in Dundee. Um, it is increasingly common that in online forums, straightforward Christian statements will be called out as dangerous and evil and backward. That is how people will describe what we believe to be true here. David Robertson has uh, uh, talked about secularism. And obviously there is secularism. There's a separation between church and state, which is right. We don't want the church to run the state, and we don't want the state to run the church. But now he says there is an increasing secularity of the mind. We don't just live in a secular world. But he is talking about a more deeply held secularity of the mind. That is, we now live in a situation where uh, not just believing in God is seen as an optional extra, which it is now, but actually, for the normal person that you meet, it is now really difficult to believe in God, really, really difficult. And to admit that you may be walking in that direction, to have that personal faith It just doesn't make sense to people today to attribute any part of their life to the action of a divine overseer. In fact, if you put it that way, it sounds a bit weird to them. You don't want to admit that you've got an invisible friend overlooking your shoulder and telling you what to do. That just sounds psychologically wrong in the modern mindset. There's a secularity of the mind. Now, David Robertson was writing uh, or had written an obituary for a newspaper of a senior politician and, and a comment that he received on the thread of his article said that David Robertson should go back to his depraved, theocratic, fascistic faith. This is a Christian brother and church leader in Dundee today and the comment is made about someone who preaches the gospel and who understands the love and, the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that is how he is described. Now, to a certain extent, that makes it very difficult for us, doesn't it? But what if leaders inside the church start talking like this? These are the mockers that Peter refers to. The mockers will arise as leaders forget their role and authority and drift off into obscure notions and theories of the return of Jesus as if God has forgotten to come back. And they forget altogether his return and seek instead to simply improve this world. Now you have two dangers. We had the Old Testament and the New Testament before. Uh, we, ha- we are an Anglican church in the evangelical tradition, you have two dangers, one on the Anglican side and one on the evangelical side. We've already seen an example of um, the obscure notions of Bible, of Bible twisting at the start. So, when we referenced Kong He before, some of the theories that that side of the church, the evangelical side of the church, will be into are things like, and please don't trip up over these words too much, but I'll just use these words for you as examples Dominion theology, the Word of Faith movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, Kingdom Now theology, the Seven Mountains prophecy. These are all different ways of talking about, none of them are good news. And some of them are actually represented by churches not too far away from here. Chester and Manchester and and, and closer. But they're all ways of talking about how do we get Jesus to come down? How do we get him to appear? As if God's forgotten and he needs a bit of, you know, kick up the whatever. It's the wrong way to talk about that kind of thing. That's on the one hand. That's on the evangelical side. But there's another movement which forgets about the return of Jesus and concentrates on making this world a better place. Um, So take a look at yourself and then make a change. To quote Michael Jackson used in the Lego Batman movie. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. The nice secular gospel that we have around us. We would be more familiar with this kind of problem Um, uh, as Anglicans. There are those who interpret the delay of Jesus' return as his his intention to not return. And therefore, they will set out to build his kingdom by other means, be it political change or social change, social justice, economics, or indeed revolution. Now, what this does is it produces people with a very energetic and admirable concern for issues of justice and mercy, particularly social justice, but actually they often get caught up in the political agenda. What that situation lacks or forgets is any ongoing understanding of the return or indeed the judgment of Christ. So another comment from the online world, as Andrea Williams took up I'm not entirely sure whether you can read that, certainly from all the way back, I apologize. But as Andrea Williams was speaking in the the General Synod debate this week, and she took her turn to speak in the debate um, concerning the Christian sanctity of sex within marriage and the need for sanctified lives of believers, the Twitter response happening at the time was Desperately forthright. Very, very strong indeed. So the top one says, Andrea preaching a sermon. Sexual morality. Heaven and hell depends on it. Sorry, but this is creeping me out. The next one down. Here we go. Heaven and hell apparently depends on sexual sin. And the bottom one. Well then, the answer is they need to be allowed to get married in order to not be in sinful sexual relationships. Simple. That last one was from a member of the clergy. Seeking, apparently, to justify sinful behavior and the shock at any mention of an impending world to come. Goodness. As we sit and read that in the light of what Peter's saying, it's almost as if Peter's words are prophetic or something, isn't it? It's like Peter knew what he was talking about. This is the living word of God, applicable to every age and all of the ages that God allows if he tarries. As he tarries. So on the one hand, we have evangelical problems and heresies. And on the other hand, we have what you might call liberal uh, heresies and problems. If we can pull out some principles, let's do that. Let's pull out some principles from what we read. Uh, I'm going to give you four. Um, Here's the first one. These teachers deliberately deny the powerful word of God. How do they do that? Well, on the one hand, you have those who will proof text. Simply preaching on the same passages time and time and time again, if you listen to them enough, then you'll realize they go back over the old things. John 10.10, 10, Jesus Christ has given, brought us life and life to the full. Uh, Jeremiah 29.11, uh, Proverbs 29.18. These, these, these texts get regurgitated and regurgitated and regurgitated. They don't go off, as it were, off piece onto the other Bible passages. So when you listen to um, preachers like that, just ask yourself... Do they preach the whole truth? The, the entire set of scriptures? Or on the other hand, they deny the Bible's integrity. They say, well, actually, we can't trust the Bible today. Or they, 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 they take bits out of context and say, look, that, that bit doesn't work. So there's teachers who deliberately deny or forget the powerful word of God. Secondly, they play fast and loose with Christian doctrine. They try to change or reinterpret historic truth. No, we haven't ever really believed that. No, that's not male and female being established in the creation of the world. The third one. They don't preach repentance. And this is relevant because of verse 9 in our passage. Verse 9 in our passage says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is the outcome? My prayer and the outcome for this sermon is that people are drawn to repentance, to come back to God. But these teachers will not preach repentance. And they might keep it hidden, but they will indulge the sinful desires now one of the most prevalent forms of false teaching in the world today and you have to be really careful because it looks good i'm going to use three long words here are you ready you can write them down they'll be on the screen moralistic therapeutic deism it looks like the gospel it isn't how can you tell Does it draw you back to a personal relationship with Christ? What is moralistic therapeutic deism? Well, moralistic, it uses the law. It bashes you. It tells you, God says this, therefore you have to obey. It's legalism in actual fact. And you must respond to the law. It's therapeutic. By doing that, it brings about a change in your life. And because it brings about the change in your life, it looks like the gospel has had an effect it's not the gospel. You've just been hit with the law. You haven't been told grace. You haven't come to Christ. You haven't trusted in him. And it's deism. You have to use the law to hit yourself, to bring about the change. Because in actual fact, in this one, God is distant. It's not personal. He's not imminent. He's not close to you. He's not loving you. This isn't grace. Now, I can't go into the details from the pulpit now as to how to spot all the differences. What I'm saying here is be aware that there are substitutes that don't work that look like the real thing. And be very careful and listen very carefully and pray for discernment and trust your teachers that they will help you as you listen. I'm assuming that you're aware of things like the God Channel and TBN and Premier Christian Radio and all of that sort of stuff. You cannot just have those things on in the background and listen without discernment, not anymore. And fourthly, by denying that the word of God leads to judgment, these people make it impossible to hear that the word of God leads to salvation. Anybody that takes judgment off the table will find it very difficult, if not impossible, to hear that the word of God leads to salvation. Peter tells us that the Old Testament clearly says that the world was created through water and the word of God. So he's going right back to creation in verses uh, six, seven, and eight, or five, six, and seven. He's going right back to creation and saying, "Look, the, war, the, the, the word of God was uh, the world was created through water and the word of God, and by these two, water and the word." The world of men was destroyed in Noah's day. Have you read your Bible? Is it there? Is it the word of God at work? Yes. And so from Jesus' teaching, Peter says, the world is being kept for destruction by fire. The word of God tells you what the end will be and the removal of everything ungodly, which includes these teachers. Now are you intimidated by a picture like that? Is it terrifying? It should be. It should be. We should be intimidated by it. We should be sitting up into itch. our hackles should be raised. This is risen this is difficult. It's designed to fire up a response in us. Peter is quoting extensively and relying extensively on Psalm 90, which, strangely enough, Ian used at the start several times, and I used, and I'm about to quote from it in a minute, and it's completely independent of each other. We haven't planned that in any way. But uh, Peter's quoting extensively from Psalm 90 to give us some substance for our thinking. If we think that God is uninterested in our world, if he has disconnected from history or our needs, then we need to think again. In Psalm 90, God gives us some perspective. He's not forgotten. He is patient. And to tease out something from Psalm 90, he is patient as a powerful creator. His patience as a powerful creator, his patience as a moral judge, and his patience as a covenant savior is all designed so that we return to him, so that we come back to him in repentance. Okay? Powerful creator, moral judge, covenant savior. And God through Psalm 90 and through Peter here is saying, come back to me. I made the world. I will judge the world. I will save my people. For all our days. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. If only we knew the power of your anger. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. See how God is giving you perspective for your life there. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish. The work of our hands. What does that mean at the end there? Psalm 90 gives voice to the prayers of God's people. And Jesus' words give them focus. He will come as a thief. To expose the work of our hands. To expose the work of everyone's hands. To judge them. And to establish the work of righteous hands. So this powerful word. That we referred to at the start, that Peter is talking about. This powerful word in which you trust testifies that you should use this time of God's patience. Use it. Work hard during it. Use it for repentance, to come back to Him knowing that we have squandered his good gifts, knowing that we have wasted so much of the blessings that he has bestowed upon us by throwing it away, by, by, by just using it on ourselves, that because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place, the way is open for salvation. The way is open to persevere under trial and establish work that shall prove of eternal worth. Christian. What is your task today? Christian, your task is to be faithful. Your task is to be faithful. It is to pray that God establish the work of your hands. It is to persevere in God's patience unto repentance and until the earth and the works done upon it are scrutinized. Do not forget that He will return, He has not forgotten. So will you do that? Will you carry out your task with diligence? Will you, do, will you carry out your task with a sincere mind? Not being a, a sneering skeptic as the scoffers are. Will you trust in the holy and powerful word of God, knowing that there will always be and still are those who join the church and lead it for their own selfish gain? Will you Persevere. Let us pray that God establishes the work of our hands. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us, O Lord. You have called us to repentance, to return to you, to turn away from our folly and from our sin. To turn away from our best ideas and our our highest thoughts. To lay all at the foot of the cross and to trust in the Lord Jesus. To listen to his word and to know that it is good for us. And it will never fail. And so, Lord Jesus, that you may establish us in eternity. And many with us, we pray for the community of Hartford. We pray for our friends and our families, our colleagues and our loved ones. Establish in them a faith, Lord Jesus, that will not fail. Call them to repentance, we pray. We long for your return. And in the meantime, we long that we may do your work faithfully
0: and diligently and with a sincere mind. In your name, amen.